The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. just going to start with a with an announcement. I, I think I've mentioned this before in this group, but somebody commented not too long ago that I haven't that they hadn't heard me mention it. So um, I'm going to be taking a sabbatical starting. Um, well, essentially for this group, it'll be starting in late July because I'm going to be teaching a two week retreat in the end of July. And then immediately following that retreat, I'll be taking a sabbatical. I'll be gone for a year, um, and I have arranged for this group uh, to be covered by two people who are in the teacher training program with me and Gil, and they've been doing some of the substituting. Um, Marjoline Janssen and Dawn Neal will be the main people, um, and then they'll probably invite, uh, when they can't make it, some of the same people that I've been inviting. So um, the the group will continue, and I'm going to be doing some retreating, but also just um, just setting down the responsibility of being a teacher for a year and uh, taking care of my my life and visiting my family and things like that too. So um, just, and, and then I will be back. I, I, I actually have teaching commitments uh, on the other side of my sabbatical. So some people have said, does this mean you're stopping teaching? And no, <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I'm definitely coming back. But uh, I've been teaching pretty full time for about 12 years. So it uh, it feels like a time to, to set it down and do some practice for myself and just see what happens on the other side. So just wanted to, to let you all know that. Hmm. So the topic that we've been talking about in the last few weeks when I've been here has been practice in daily life. And um, today I thought to talk about practicing with speech, practicing with conversations. It's such a huge area of our lives and it's connected. It's connected with content. You know, when we're speaking, we're talking about things and in our sitting practice, we sometimes don't connect with content as much. We, we can in our sitting practice kind of set aside content and just come into how we are right now. You know, just just the the felt sense and not so much, you know, set aside the content and just take in how we are in this moment. And so this active practicing with content is uh, a big part of daily life practice. We talked about this a few weeks ago with respect to content around news. We, We explored a little bit around looking at how we are in relationship You know, when we hear things, when content that is challenging comes in, how are we? And so in this exploration, we're talking, we're we're looking at not, 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 not content that we're taking in, but content that we're creating. So it's a slightly different exploration and, um, and to just become aware of how we are when we're talking. So there's a couple of different levels of exploration of this. 
First of all, I'll just say that um, this area of practice is pretty challenging. Um, We have a, a very strong habit of not being aware while we're speaking because partly because we're not so familiar with being aware with content with ideas and thoughts you know this is this is one of the the areas that is is harder for us to be aware of aware with thinking aware with uh, generating ideas and thoughts it's harder for us to be aware with that and so um it is challenging to be mindful while speaking we often speak automatically unaware of what we're going to say we are even less aware of the effect it may have on people and so um, this this comes to um, the buddha in the suggestions for in the eightfold path and suggestions for our life in the world you know the buddha the the, the eightfold path includes not only instructions about mindfulness meditation internal exploration but also instructions and encouragement about how we relate in the world and so um, in the eightfold path there's the area of wise speech and suggestions for kinds of speech to avoid so i'm just going to briefly name these in this is in in the ethical section of the Eightfold Path, the section that really relates to non-harming in our uh, relationships. So he, he encourages us to refrain from false speech, harsh speech, divisive speech, and idle chatter. The overarching theme of these, of, of refraining from this, this, these kinds of speech, is to refrain from harming through our speech. And this is, um, you know, I think we all, I mean, we, we, we sometimes resist the idea of being, you know, don't do this, don't do that. But the, 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 the purpose of these suggestions, these um, encouragements to refrain from these kinds of speech, especially the first three, false speech, harsh speech, divisive speech, are usually motivated by some kind of inner reactivity or delusion. Motivated, um, false speech can be motivated by delusion or fear or confusion or greed. Harsh speech, that harshness of um, speech that... um, the, the Buddha in, uh, defined each of these um, kinds of speech with kind of connected with the intention, or this actually may be more in the commentaries, the definition of these. of these. So false speech is speech that is intending to deceive and with the, with the intention to deceive. So we may say something that is incorrect and we believe it, Somebody has told us something and we believe it and we tell somebody else. And that's not uh, intending to deceive, that's conveying information. Now, there may be some delusion in the whole process of taking in what somebody else has said without kind of verifying it for ourselves. So that may be another thing to explore. But the, the intention to deceive is kind of part of false speech. 
So the, that, that kind of motivation in our minds, I don't want this person to know the truth. In harsh speech, um, the intention is um, speech designed or intending to cause the hearer pain. So to hurt them in some way. And again, there may be things that we say that people don't like. But the intention may be, you know, the, the point of that may be to help them to see something they haven't seen, as opposed to intending to make them feel pain or feel miserable. So again, the intention is an important aspect of looking at our speech. Um, divisive speech is speech that's intending to create divisions between people. So to separate the, the, the suit to say something like, one intends to divide these people here from those people there. So that the uh, divisive speech has that, has that quality to separate, to not create concord, to not create unity. Also, the un- interesting piece about this is that the Buddha points to kind of the flip side of each of these, that the, um, with not speaking falsely, one is cultivating truth. With not speaking harshly, one is cultivating kindness and compassion. With not speaking divisively, one is is actually supporting uh, unity and um, concord. So that, that, that we can also look at the other side of, of each of these. What it, what it supports, what it cultivates. Not speaking divisively, perhaps we can uh, speak with the intention of creating uh, concord. The last one, um, idle chatter. This one is kind of defined as speech that doesn't communicate anything of value. So speech without purpose. And there, there are things that, I mean, there are times when I, I do have a sense that there's just speech being, being, you know, spoken that it doesn't have any purpose. But at the same time, I think it's important to recognize, you know, that in our situation as lay people, um, speech can have a purpose, an underlying purpose. Like to, if we're in a room of, with people we don't know, then you know, often the initial conversations feel kind of more, you know, you don't start with the most, the most um, revealing thing or the most uh, kind of deep part of your experience when you are talking to somebody you know, don't know, you might, you might start with something like the weather or something, you know, you might start there, just to create a connection, just hearing each other's voices is a way we get to know each other. And so just something to start with that is beginning a connection. And yet sometimes quickly we can just continue to elaborate on that without then um, exploring, well, what is, what is the purpose of this conversation? What is the, the, the intention here? So, you know, I want to, um, uh, to kind of the, the, the curiosity with me about all of these is to begin to explore 
the intention behind our speech. So the Buddha, in, in, in including these in our um, relational field and practice, he is encouraging us to recognize why we're speaking and to refrain from speech that is motivated by wanting to deceive, wanting to harm, wanting to divide, and not communicating anything of value. So just an encouragement to, to notice that, the intention. So this noticing of the intention, you know, it's, it's a big area of practice. And for me, you know, in, in um, exploring this, what I found, probably the most useful thing I found in terms of beginning to recognize intention is to see if I can cultivate a pause before I speak. If we pause before we speak, you know, that's a moment, like that cultivation of that pause, that's a moment where we can be aware. And it's, it's often easier than we might think to know what we're going to say before we say it. If we just have a slight pause there, what we're going to say before we say it. And it maybe we don't know the actual words, but we may get a sense of the feeling in our heart. Is there a constriction or is there a feeling of openness? Maybe we don't know exactly what we're going to say, but we have a, a sense internally of there being some kind of reactivity or some kind of ease. And perhaps if there is some kind of reactivity, taking a moment to, uh, to, to pause a little bit further. You know, what is it that I want to communicate from this place? And there's, there's an opportunity sometimes with with that pause to know what you're going to say and why you want to say it. So that's a, that's a, a cultivation in our daily lives that we might be able to begin to explore. There's a lot more um, encouragement in the suttas, a different way in than the precepts, um, than the um, the avenues of wise speech, those four areas of wise speech. The Buddha framed wise speech in another way too. He encouraged us to reflect before we speak or look at, our, is what we're going to say, well, true is the first one, you know, and he, he, he had this kind of step thing. It's like, you know, start to say, is, is what you're going to say true? If it's not going to be true, then don't say it. So that's the first piece, you know, is it true? And then is it um, useful? So does it have a purpose? Is it, is it useful? If it's useful, he said, we should say it. If it's the right time to say it. So he encouraged us also to reflect on the context in which we're offering information, in which we're speaking. There can be times when you know, maybe somebody is very agitated and it, it, and they're not really able to receive what we're saying. Or the situation is not appropriate, that there are, um, you know, people there for whom, it, you know, with in terms of a particular conversation, um, if there's like feedback or some kind of, you know, uh, 
something that you want to share with somebody, there may be other people there that that person would feel like a betrayal if that if the other people heard that. So there's context. The Buddha encouraged us to recognize the context in which we're speaking. If it's useful, look at, is it the appropriate time? Is it is it a beneficial time to say this? Will the other person be able to receive it? Is the context appropriate for this? You know, another context that we might consider is like the person is, you know, here in this moment, but getting ready to go do something, you know, that is um, um, very important to them or something. And, you know, to bring in something outside of that. You know, we learn this as teachers and in our um, teaching communities. You know, you don't talk to somebody (laughs) in the little while before they're giving a Dharma talk. You don't bring in extra information with them. It's just not the right time because there's often a place they're kind of landing in the content that they're offering and connecting with that material and bringing something else in is not um, necessarily helpful in that moment. That's not a good time. That's not a good time. So, you know, just all of these reflections, you know, so is it, is it true? Is it useful? Is it an appropriate time? And the last one, is it kind? So is the is the heart connecting with um, kind of a connection with others, a care? So sometimes, sometimes what we want to say is something that somebody doesn't necessarily want to hear, and that is an important place to look at our motivation. You know, sometimes we want to tell something they they don't want to hear, partly more actually because um, we don't like something and we 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 want something to change for us, and we've couched it in our own mind as being a benefit to them if I tell them that, and so this is an important thing to to, to notice: is there is the motivation truly a connection and a care for? the other person, for ourselves and others, and both, to look at that context. Is it truly for that, or is it mostly to benefit ourselves? So those are are some considerations also. Is it true? Is it useful? Is it kind? And if we explore it from that side, and sometimes in in the West we like to explore things from the positive side as opposed to, oh, don't speak if it's harsh. Don't speak if it's divisive. We can think of it. These these three, is it true? Is it useful? Is it kind? Is it timely? These four kind of incorporates or encompasses those, uh, those aspects of the four kinds of wise speech. In terms of mindful speaking, this is it it's it's hard and and I think um many of my colleagues many of my fellow mindfulness teachers also talk about this and it's 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 one of the it's it feels to me like one of the last areas where mindfulness can begin to to infiltrate to begin to infuse and and connect with for myself I think part of my problem with bringing the mindfulness in was that I had really learned how to be aware in sitting practice, 
of my inner experience, of my body, of a lot of information internally. And when I was told, you know, at the end of retreats, often we do a little tiny exercise on being mindful while speaking um, and told, you know, do this when you go home. And it was like not possible most of the time. You know, and, and yet what I was trying to do was to be as fully present and as fully mindful in the um, speaking practice as I was when I was in the sitting meditation. It's like I was trying to think about being aware of my body, of my emotions, of my thoughts while I was listening and while I was talking. And it was like, that was, that was, that was pretty hard. Now it is possible actually to be mindful like that while you're speaking, but it's not something that we can usually do. Like, while we're speaking, we can't think about, oh, I need to be mindful of my emotions. We can't like actively bring in the questions, am I aware? What am I aware of? What's going on internally while we're in conversation? But the momentum of mindfulness can build to the point where we can be deeply aware of, of all of it while we're talking. But that takes time. That takes time. And I think that's why at the end of a retreat, we can to some extent in those dyads or in those practice periods when we're talking with others, we can be a little more mindful while we're speaking because there's so much momentum of mindfulness at the end of retreat. There's a lot of momentum of mindfulness at the end of retreat. And so in a structured setting where there's a kind of an encouragement, practice together and notice being mindful while speaking, there's often quite a bit of capacity that's built up over the course of the retreat. And so the, there can be a sense of, wow, actually I can, I can feel myself while I'm talking and I can know some emotions. I can know what I'm going to say before I'm going to say it. But in the midst of our daily lives, often this is not so, uh, so easy. And so I've, I came up with a, a few um, kind of staged things for myself. The first piece that, um, that I began to recognize, and the first time I really became clearly mindful while I was talking in a context where um, um, it took me by surprise, was I just became aware that I was talking while I was talking. It was that simple. I wasn't so aware of how I was feeling, but it, there was a clear, I, I knew I was, I was talking while I was talking. I wasn't like so aware of what I was going to say before I was going to say it, but while I was talking, I knew I was talking. And that was a revelation for me, even just that piece. And I could maintain it. I can maintain knowing that I was talking while I was talking. And that light touch of mindfulness, just knowing that I'm talking while I was talking, didn't seem to get in the way of a very fluid and spontaneous flow of the speech. It was just that light, that simple. And so that's a first place to explore and begin. And it can kind of be a stealth mindfulness. You know, you can play with it with anyone. It's, you, it, doesn't, it doesn't need the pause. It doesn't need um, 
you know, somebody else to slow down their speaking or anything. It's just, can you be aware that you're talking while you're talking? And then on the flip side, also, can you be aware that you're listening while you're listening? <clears throat> and again, not, not in terms of a deep kind of ooh, feeling everything that's happening, but just, yeah, somebody else is talking. I know they're talking. So again, that really light kind of touch. The next level down for me of as I began to be able to be aware that I was talking while I was talking, the next level down, and this one is incredibly useful. If you can get to the place where you can do these two, know that you're talking while you're talking, and then notice at a very simple level whether you're agitated or at ease while you're talking. If you can know those two, then if you notice that you're agitated, you know, that can, that can give you some sense of, oh, there's something here. Maybe slow down a little bit, potentially. You know, perhaps even stop speaking. Say, hang on just a second. I want to, I wanna, you know, just reflect a little bit on what I want to say here. So, you know, that, that the agitation, and it, it might just be feel that, felt as a, like a, a contraction or a constriction in the throat or the heart, a feeling of jumpiness. We don't have to know a particular emotion there. And that was another piece that was kind of a revelation to me, just a simple feeling. And often in this area, you know, the visceral area of the, of the body, this area has a lot of information and and it might just simply be kind of like a feeling of being defended or tight or a feeling of being relaxed and connected so that those two can you notice is it like this or is it like this does it feel soft and open or relaxed so those those two pieces can i know that i'm talking while i'm talking and can I notice if I'm agitated or at ease? Those two have really supported me in terms of being mindful while speaking. And I forget. I forget. And again, you know, it is challenging to do this in, a, in an environment where nobody else is mindful while they're talking. There's something about the the momentum of non-mindfulness in the field that we're in, that seems to like carry us out of mindfulness. And so when, when we're in a field of people, um, you know, a, a meeting perhaps where there's not a lot of mindfulness, it can be very easy to not be mindful. And so this brings another piece of practice that I think is really helpful. So from another perspective, um, finding ways to support all of the kind of things that being mindful while speaking is built on, all of the like tools and, and um, kind of uh, areas of practice. I think of it sometimes like practicing a skill. You know, we go on retreat and we practice being mindful of our experience, but we don't practice being mindful while talking very often, you know, maybe a little at the end of retreat. But we're not cultivating a practice around being mindful while talking. And so I think of it like cultivating any skill. Like if you want to get good at 
playing a musical instrument. You know, the first thing you need to do is learn about the instrument. You need to pick it up. You need to learn, like if it's a piano, you need to learn that the keys, the notes, learn if you're going to learn from, I mean, I know some people learn to play the piano just by ear and not so much through reading the notes. I learned it the other way. I learned it, you know, learned the notes, learned to read the notes, and then connect the notes on the paper to the things. <laughs> and then you practice scales. You know, you, you, you play scales a little bit, then you learn a song and you practice it before you're going to go out into a concert or something like that. So there's some steps that you go through to, to practice. And, uh, you know, another analogy I like to use sometimes is like playing a, a social game like basketball or something like that. You know, you wouldn't like step into a very competitive game before you'd even learn to dribble a basketball. And so you spend some time by yourself learning to dribble, learning to shoot. And then maybe you play with a friend that you, you know, know is not going to bowl you over and is going to like pass you carefully the basketball so you can learn how to pass and learn how to, you know, play that way, learn how to receive a pass and pass and then shoot when somebody's in your face a little bit, you know, so you learn a little bit in, in, in relationships in a kind place, in a kind relationship. And then you might go into another game where there's a little bit more competitiveness, a little bit more activity, and you'd learn there. So it's kind of built when you're learning skills. We know how to build on various skills. With speech, the first skill that's useful is to learn a little bit about practicing with content. Because, you know, in content, the whole area of speech is is content. A lot of, of what we're doing is communicating content. And so one place to begin to practice, I don't remember if I mentioned this the other day in the, when we talked about taking in content around difficult news, but you know, just in um, um, practicing with content, practicing with writing is practicing with offering content to someone else. So if you're, you know, writing an email to someone or writing a text, that can be slowed down a little bit more. And, and you know, before you, you send, notice the content, how it affects you, notice the content and how you envision it affecting the other person. So this gives you a little bit of practice with offering the content of your thoughts to someone else in a slowed down fashion. So this is like building, you know, practicing the scales, we could call it, you know, it's practicing dribbling here. You're noticing the content of your mind, how it feels to offer that to somebody for you, and how it might land for the other person, in just kind of envisioning how it might land for the other person. And on the flip side, for listening, when we're reading, we can, you know, read a sentence or two of something in a, in a book or in the news and then notice, how does it land? How does it feel to receive this? What do I want to communicate in response to receiving this? So you, you can, again, begin to slow it down with reading and writing. Often with email, for instance, you know, there's, there's a long time. You don't have to respond immediately. In speech, we often feel we need to respond immediately. And so this gives us an opportunity to observe and explore those basic things of the content and how it affects us. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, you know, just like, here's some content. 
This is an idea, a thought. How does it feel to have that content in my mind? And maybe in a simple way, again, does it feel constricted and tight? Does it feel relaxed and open? That may be a good first exploration. Does it feel like there's confusion, anger, frustration happening with that thought? Then perhaps there's another way to reflect on offering the same content in a different way. If I'm writing an email that that I know I'm feeling a little bit, sometimes I'll let myself write it with those feelings, just kind of get it in, on paper with those feelings. And then I'll read back through it a bunch of times. I'll read it through it and feel how it lands for me, how it lands for the other person, you know, how it might land for the other person. Oh, that word, oh, that word feels like, I'm going to change that word. I do that a lot with emails. When there's something I need to communicate that is potentially hard for the other person to hear or hard for me to communicate. So that kind of thing we can do and play with, you know, how does it feel to change that word? Oh, there's more sense, you know, shift a word from one to another and read the sentence. Oh, that feels softer. That feels more connected. That feels more caring. So feel how it is to, to relate to content internally. This is a big area of daily life practice, this exploration of content and how we are with content. So that's, that's one step is kind of like with, with, with reading and writing. The next step, if we use the basketball game analogy, it's like, okay, you've learned to dribble a little bit. You've learned to shoot a little bit. Then you want to practice with a friend who knows how to play and maybe can help you a little bit or is interested in playing also, maybe learning together. And so the next thing I suggest, another, another kind of way to build the skill is to find a friend that wants to learn how to cultivate mindfulness while speaking and set up a mindful lunch date or, you know, a mindful Zoom meeting if you can't meet them in person, you know, just in terms of like th- what we want to do here is to explore being mindful while talking. And a, a, a way to, to begin that, you know, there's, there's some steps that we can use there too. Um, so another Dharma practitioner often is useful here. doesn't have to be. It may just be somebody who's interested in learning how to speak kindly. Um, but you could start with kind of just a little bit of like, okay, how am I given that we're going to be doing this? You know, starting with a little bit of reflection, like it's, it's sometimes called mindfulness out loud, you know. Okay, so we're getting ready to talk and this is how I feel. I feel a little bit nervous, a little bit like not sure of how this is going to go. You know, so just speak to what you're experiencing in the moment. Have each person speak a little bit to that. Um, and then potentially, because if you're talking about being aware while talking, it's probably going to support you to be aware while talking. That's a, that's a great thing about that. And then potentially to have conversation around topics that, again, support. If it's a Dharma practitioner, you could talk about something about the practice, some topic of practice or Dharma that is interesting to both of you. Again, because talking about Dharma may support being mindful while talking. In that kind of a context where you're having a mindful lunch date, you know, a mindful talking uh, time, practice period with somebody, um, 
you have more of the perhaps permission, maybe you can even set up the kind of way to slow the conversation down, to uh, pause, listen to what somebody else is saying, pause between speakers. No, you know, so you have an opportunity to practice with that. Oh, this is what I'm going to say. This is how I'm going to say it. This is, this is what I think is happening. You know, this is what, how I think it's, it feels for me, maybe a little bit about how it might land for the other person. But again, not, not trying to do it in any more than that really simple. Can I know that I'm talking while I'm talking? Does it feel agitated or easeful to think about that? And the, and the pause can help you to, to see a little bit more potentially. So those are some tools that can help to cultivate this practice. No, actually practice with mindfulness of speaking. Maybe then do it in a slightly larger group of Dharma friends. The more people you add, the harder it seems to get. So, you know, just again, you know, to, to explore together with, uh, you know, three or four people. We want to try to do this together. And then we can, then, then you can also help each other. You know, maybe, maybe even set a little timer that every like three minutes it goes off and it's like, oh, well, were we, were we mindful? You know, just ways to support it, ways to support it. And then in your everyday life, like in simple environments, maybe in interactions with salespeople or cashiers, you know, at the supermarket, you know, just that kind of, can I remember to be mindful while I'm just doing this simple kind of conversation that's really pretty neutral content. You know, do you need pay, you need a bag? No, I don't need a bag. You know, that's not like a lot of, you know, resistance or, you know, fear around that potentially, but you know, just just can can there be a way to connect with that person being aware? And a simple thing, you know, for me also in those kind of in my environments, I try to make eye contact and smile behind my mask these days, but make eye contact and smile and say thank you. And, you know, it just creates a sense of connection and care between us. So just practicing in those ways. And, and I think you'll see, you'll, you'll explore and find that it does begin to develop over time. It does take commitment, though, I have to say. It takes work to remember, and yet it can be fun to uh, to do this. So comments, questions, reflections, we have a few minutes. Yeah, Nicholas. I want to ask about um, sort of cultivating interest in the other person. Well, just in, for me, what I've noticed is sometimes there's just a really simple awareness of relaxation or tension in the other person as they're receiving words. And just that very, very light awareness is so useful. But most of the time, the mind is not interested in that. It's more internal. And I, I'm curious if there's a, an useful way to cultivate that interest in the other, or is that something that just kind of unfolds naturally? Well, I think sometimes if you've no, if you're noticing something like that, that there's not much interest in the other, then it, it might be, it might be useful to, to, I think anywhere we notice there's a gap. It's, or a place where the mindfulness isn't so strong. I mean, it does tend to cultivate over time, but, but for myself, I've seen, you know, certain things like, 
areas or ways my mind is not used to connecting, um, we're not used to relating, that it can take a little bit more intentionality. So I found that um, one way to explore the uh, that relationship is to is to just have some curiosity, and it, it might be even be something really simple. If somebody you don't know, for instance, you know, one thing that I've uh, I've played with, even just in a relationship, not when I'm talking to them, but just somebody that I see and I have a feeling of, oh, you know, that person I don't know, and there's a little bit of a kind of feeling, just a little bit of curiosity. And and I learned this from from a book called Deep Diversity by Shaquille Choudhury. Choudhury, he, he says, you know, just get curious about, I wonder what kind of vegetables that person likes. And it's just, it's amazing how just that simple question can spark Oh, right. That's a person. They eat vegetables. They like different vegetables. You know, it, it just creates something that, that adds a little bit of juice. You know, it's, it, it reminds us that the other person has a life outside of this interaction. They eat vegetables. They have their own like appreciations and dislikes. It's just a little tiny thing. So that, that's been useful for me. And I think what you're noticing of like, you know, that interest of, or that curiosity of seeing when somebody else feels, you know, you see it, you sometimes you can see something go through their, their face or their body. And, um, you know, not, sometimes we might think, oh, that reflects me. And more, can we think instead, oh, what's happening with them? You know, that it may not have anything to do with me. Maybe it's a, a trigger of, of memories that's brought up something else. You know, it might nothing to do with me. And mm-hmm. so, you know, again, a, a kind of a sense of, oh, something's happening over there. You know, what what's going on? And for me, I found just holding the relational field. You know, when we're cultivating mindfulness, often we're we're really internal, right? It's it's that how am I internally? you know, noticing um, perhaps the content of what they're saying, but not so much connecting to there's another person over there. And that's what that question, you know, I wonder what kind of vegetables they like begins to kind of, you know, help us remember, right? There's another person. They eat too, you know, (laughs) what kind of vegetables do they like? Um, and, And I found even just that simple remembering, well, I'm sitting with another person here. I wonder what they're thinking and feeling helps to create that that interest. Sometimes Sayadaw, and I think uh, you were at the retreat and Alexis mentioned this, uh, 50-50 mindfulness. I sometimes bring that in here too. Sayadaw Utejaniya talks about, especially in conversation or in interactions in the world, know what's happening outside of us. Half of our attention outside of us, half of our attention inside of us. So it's attending to self Self, other, and both. So there's it's kind of an expansion of our capacity to be aware. And I found just the simple, it was interesting to me when somebody suggested this kind of, you know, just know there's another person sitting there. It was it was actually pretty easy. It didn't have to be a lot of like thinking about it, but just sitting, oh, I'm sitting across from from Julie and we're having a conversation. And there was a different feeling. In that, there was much more of a sense of compassion and connection here that I was feeling just by by holding that thought, a simple thought like that. 
So yeah, it's, it, it is useful. You know, I found it, it took me a while and I had to talk to a bunch of different people. Like, why am I not feeling that in conversation? And, and one teacher says, well, you know, you're, you're just not focused on the relational in that moment. You're focused more on the kind of inner landscape. And so know that there's another person there. <laughs> it just, it was so simple and it was so easy once I, um, once I heard that. So it can be useful to, to kind of like stretch in that way. So I would encourage that.